back to another episode of Disconnect, the Outdoor Education Podcast. This will likely be the before last episode for this school year. I'm, I'm hoping to actually just kind of follow the school year. Um, so I'll, I'll plan one last episode for June and then likely take the summer off because, um, you know, this, this has been a really tough year and I'm sure you've all felt it. And frankly, I want to take... Um, I want to take a little bit of time and and practice what I preach. I want to disconnect. I want to (laughs) disappear, get off the grid. Um, You know, I'm sure we're all at the point where we're basically counting the days at work. Uh, At least uh, I've got colleagues who are, and I was notified of how many days were left, and now I can't stop thinking about it. That being said, however, I'm super excited because today I'm bringing to you two topics that are really near and dear to my heart. Science specifically citizen science and music um for those of you who well i don't know actually that anybody would know but uh music has been a big part of my life for a very long time and all of the music you've heard on the podcast including the one you hear right now is stuff that i have composed or or kind of put together um the typical intro song is completely made by me um so I, uh, I was able to connect with Jennifer Engbrecht, who's a music teacher actually in my hometown of Winnipeg, who has done some outstanding things with her classroom, uh, teaching outside this year, and even more challenging than just kind of that feat is doing it in Winnipeg, which it's really cold. So we'll talk to Jennifer Engbrecht and see how she managed that uh, in this in this given year. And then we'll also speak with uh, Christine Chilton, who's um, a representative of the Nature Conservancy of Canada, who's one of my favorite charities, and who have a long history of doing citizen science projects. So we'll chat with her and learn a bit more about that. So I have uh, uh, an acquaintance here that I met uh, indirectly through Twitter, and, and it found out after the fact that, um, one, we lived in the same city, two, that I actually uh, briefly taught her son, uh, but I have Jennifer Engbrecht here, who I discovered uh, through Megan Zenny, actually, who retweeted or tweeted about some of Jennifer's accomplishments. Now, to give you a little brief um, uh, intro to to what Jennifer's does that's noteworthy. Um, first of all, we live in Winnipeg, which is colloquially known as Winterpeg. We have some of the most extreme weather uh, swings in in probably the world we go from plus 40 in the summer to minus 40 in the winter that's celsius for for my american listeners minus 40 is minus 40 so it's that cold uh, and what jennifer did this year being a pandemic year is she taught music outside through the entire winter and this to me was mind-boggling and fits beautifully in the context of this podcast so jennifer thank you so much for joining me Thank you for having me. Now, I need to, first of all, understand, because I teach high school, I don't even know what an early years uh, music class looks like, let alone during COVID times. Can you give me a quick idea of what a music class looks like in elementary and especially what it looks like in 2020, 2021? Sure. Um, So in Manitoba, um, generally, um, we have... um, we'd have you'd have a music classroom and um lots of teachers i would say one of the most popular methods or or approaches to teaching music education is the orf approach um which 
involves a lot of play. There's, there's singing, playing um, instruments or playing instruments, um, a lot of creativity, uh, moving. So moving to music, um, speech. So there's rhythmic speech that one would use to, um, to be able to demonstrate music. So we're, you actually use that also to help students understand rhythms. Um, and listening. So that can be listening either through appreciation of the vast amount of music around the world or listening even just within one's ensemble that you're playing in so that you can hear where your part fits into an ensemble. So um, that can involve playing lots of different instruments or, but the, and quite often people will imagine a certain style of instruments, which is um, xylophones and recorders and things like that. And so people sometimes refer to those as Orff instruments. And in fact, they were somewhat created by Carl Orff, um, who mm. is one of the originators along with Gunnar Keatman of this approach. Um, but really it's more the way children learn it's it's through those five five ideas that that i had mentioned that could be played on anything could be played on on drums or mm-hmm. in my case snowsuits sometimes <laughs> okay so that's where i want to go what was your main drive to take your classroom outside um so for for me i had been looking at this idea during the summer myself because um, generally, um, it's, it's very, you know, one of, one of the things that people will say is it's, it's, they, they encourage teachers to go outside to open windows, etc. Outside is, is very, is much safer, um, currently. So we can see that there's lots of things that are allowed to do outside, um, that, that are not currently allowed inside because of, you know, ventilation, etc. Um, and you can certainly ramp up ventilation inside. And I, I know that, that that's the case with, with a lot of indoor environments. Um, but outside, it's just always, it's just always at like a certain level and, and, and quite safe. You know, we're outside wearing masks and distanced as well, mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Um, and, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's still a lot safer. So that was part of it. Yeah. Um, but I also just generally love being outside. Like I, I will spend like all summer outside. Um, I do a lot of outdoor activities in the winter and, um, grew up doing a lot of things outside with my family. So, um, I just love that feeling. Like I actually, you know, I'm sure people who are used to being in warmer environments all the time can't relate to, that amazing feeling that I love when, when you walk outside and there's like this really cold breath that you mm-hmm. take. That's just, it's something that I think is so neat. And the sound of snow and yeah. um, just all of that is, is just lovely. But yeah. I love seeing the guy in the winter. And mm-hmm. So had you taken your music classroom outside in the past or really was kind of the pandemic, the main impetus that led you to take your classroom outside? Yeah, it. I th- I would say it is. I mean, I, we've done things outside before. Like my school division has something called folk dance in the park that we do every year, and and it's it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So we all practice dances in our classrooms, and then spend all day with something like over a thousand, like fifteen hundred kids and their families um, at at the park, 
dancing. And so they'll dance for about an hour and a half. And, um, and it's just, it's just such a beautiful day. And so I've, I've definitely done things like that before and, um, but not, you know, I've sort of looked at music, but I've never really thought about how I would do it too much. Like, I, I, I don't think I'd really thought, you know, like when I'd seen different things that, that one could look at outside, I hadn't really, um, thus far, like aside from going outside and doing dances, I hadn't really thought of something that I would do outside myself before. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. completely new. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. So I, I'm going to skip ahead. Maybe this was a question I wanted to ask later, but you kind of brought it up already since this is kind of somewhat of a new venture for you. What, what was your biggest takeaway? What's kind of the things that you've discovered along the way doing this that um, now you might look back and say, well, I, I would always want to do this now, or I, I regret not doing this earlier. Like what, what are yeah, the things that um, you discovered? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I have found that, um, you know, right off the bat, like there was, there's, there was things that would happen where like, I mean, I did start off actually with folk dances because I already knew how to do that outside. We can just dance outside. It works. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I found like things that I thought would work outside weren't going to work. Like I could just, I <laughs> was just about to start doing something and I'd be like, Nope. And I actually even, you know, put it on my blog. There's a piece of paper in my blog that just says, Nope, with a big X through it. (laughs) Because there's just things like that are just not going to work. And there's probably things that if I go outside in the future, which I totally plan on, um, are going to be different. Like right now, because there's a lot of trying to, you know, make sure that everyone's spaced apart. um, There's, there's things like that or that are more difficult, but um, some of the things that um, that I find absolutely delightful are like I the nope happens all the time now, and so I actually write my this is what I'm gonna do, and then it's in one color, and then what actually happened is in red, and they both take up half the paper every single day, and I'm not it doesn't bother me anymore. Like at first I was like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Whereas now it's just like, no, that's not what happened because it was raining or, um, or some other thing. Like sometimes if it's too cold, we actually would go inside, but I sort of reimagined what that would look like as well. Yeah. Um, but it, some of the, the reasons why things changed were because it snowed that day and you got to play in the snow because you're a Canadian kid and you're going to play with the snow. So we're going to, you know, we're going to like, there was one day where I had not, this was not in my plans. I just knew it was going to snow. And so I looked up music by Debussy. Um, There's a song, there's a piece called um, Depasser la Neige, um, walk like basically like traces your um, traces. That's French. Yeah. What's that word? Footprints, footprints in the snow and um, getting them to walk to it. And the piece is just has this beautiful sort of lilt to it where you hear do, 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 do. And they're actually walking. So the grade two kids who normally are just like, well, they're all over the place. They were able to just stop and just feel the silence 
and take those steps in the snow along yeah. with the music. And then we looked back and looked at the art we made that connected with the music. And that was not what I was going to do that day. That was, you know, it's just but like, it's going to snow. So that's what we're going to do. And then there's also a piece um, WC is really filling my year actually, uh -huh. because he also has one called um, the snowflakes are dancing. And so that was what we were doing was spinning around being snowflakes as uh -huh. well. So those are these moments where I was not going to do that. We actually even one day was really like the snow was spinning all around us. And I went, we're going to reenact the let it go song from frozen and we totally did because i went we've got it it's here like the whole setting we didn't have to buy any of these props yeah. and and i went and if you, this you know just overact it and we had just done drama like, so we have tents where we have these tents for if it's really windy or whatever and um so we had just been doing so the tents sort of just work out for doing drama games and so, which I feel like really relate to music as mm -hmm. well. Like there's a lot of things that you do in a drama game really relates to ensemble learning. And, you know, some of them are in, involve passing energy. And to me, that's, that's something you want to do in music and the improvisation, you, you need to be able to do that in music as well. And so we had just been playing a game called energy ball where the energy is growing through the whole circle. Mm -hmm. And the song does that too. Like it actually starts off very quiet and then becomes this giant swirling around. And, and so we just ran out into, I went, you're all dressed for it. We all just went swirling around and running up the hill, just like she runs up the mountain. And, yeah. and, again, had not planned on doing that. And it was probably one of the funniest days of the whole year. And they're all just like, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just so fun. And so there's so many days like that, you know, just doing something, doing something else. And then an eagle flies over and that's the yeah. lesson. Of course. And we're all, we all stop. And, and at the time we weren't, you know, I was thinking, oh, we're not supposed to sing. I can't sing the Eagle song. We'd learned the Eagle song as we had a, someone visit a school and, and give us teachings around the Eagle song a few years ago um, in Ojibwe. And um, and I thought, oh, wait, I have a recording of it on my phone. So I pulled it up and, and had it on SoundCloud. And, um, and I have a portable speaker that was swirling in my hand when I was going up the Let It Go mountain. Yeah. And, um, and was able to play it. And then I all went, oh, yeah, I remember that song. And we all started talking about the seven sacred teachings and and uh, and that whole, we had experienced this whole day where we'd done a smudge and and listening to the choir sing. And, and it was just really amazing. So, yeah. again, like that was the day where you X out what I was going to do. But how do you not take that moment? So, the, these moments that can be distractions, they're, they're becoming the day. Yeah. You know, like I'll notice that they're playing with their shadows and um, then that's what it becomes is like, how can we play with our shadows and make a dance in front of ourselves? Yeah. And so those are almost becoming like, and I keep on thinking I'm going to run out of stuff. And then something happens where kids are showing me how to paint with ice or something like that. And it's, it just becomes the neatest thing to see. So, and of course, none yeah, of those opportunities, it, I mean, if you weren't, you can't make them happen, but you have to allow them to happen. No. Yeah, well, that's just it. Like, I mean, you could so easily like, and, and it's one of the things that I keep on thinking about is it's, you know, when I f reflect about it is in my classroom, 
um, you know, that's, there's, there's so many, there's, there's so many things around on the walls and everything. And, you know, and sometimes someone's looking over there, not doing what, you know, you're, they're a little bit off, off focus. And so you try and bring everyone back to what you're doing. But I mean, sometimes I'm finding these things, like the things that they're, um, that I find that they're distracted with isn't really a distraction. It's where their curiosity is going. Mm-hmm. So when they see the geese flying over, then we all become the geese flying over mm-hmm. and, and we'll stop. And there's a, there's a, there's a BNL piece for that, that like was from their kids, kids album. And so we're all getting V formation and start running across the whole <laughs> field. Which is yeah. So fun. Yeah. So and music so really it, does lend itself really well to being taught outdoors, especially oh, in the early yeah. years. Well, and it's it's like I like, you know, sort of picking that that taking that curiosity and thinking like what else can we do? And it's, sometimes it is actually so I have a um a teaching partner and and so sometimes she's teaching and it's while she's teaching sometimes that I'm just able to just stand and observe the students and I'll see like they're doing, you know, making this sliding sound with their snowsuit and that was just all of a sudden they went that's what we're gonna do we're making snowsuit music and (laughs) and so then it became you know I started we started playing with the zippers on our on our jackets and making like the sliding sound with our dark snow pants and 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 tapping our boots and Mm -hmm. and I said those are your sounds here's the sounds or what are all the sounds that I didn't just show you because you guys are kids and you're super creative. What do you have as sounds? And then they came up with these amazing pieces that ended up having choreography as well. And, mm-hmm. and then, then they all, because those sounds are they're present, but they're very quiet, they're also able to say, okay, everyone, you're going to have to take everything down. You cannot be that, that person who's like kind of tapping your foot while you're listening to someone because then your foot tap is going to be louder than what they're doing. And mm-hmm. But everyone was able to just, be really quiet and experience everyone else's piece. So I like getting them to create pieces too. Like, so now that we've found all of these sounds, what are you going to do with them? And, um, and so it's, it's really neat to see them create with something that we've never created with before. We never played with our snowsuits before because they don't come (laughs) to class in snowsuits, you know, but what, but what an amazing thing for them. They all make fantastic sounds. Like, I mean, the zipper sound is like, that's that's the funnest sound in the room, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, someone's going to have to sample this. Like, this is Electronica 2021 here. Just make oh, a totally, bunch of samples, totally. laid out on the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was a day, too, where we were running out of, because it all started melting. And yeah. so, we're going, where are we going to even go right now? So, we ended up this one last class of the day on the side, <laughs> getting closer and closer to the school where we could actually stand. Yeah. And they just... They were like this quiet, this class that they just were in this mood where I went, okay, listen carefully. You are not going to splash in a way that gets everyone wet around you. But if you can be very careful and make sure that the water just goes near you, we are going to splash in the puddles, which is mm-hmm. interdit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <Always. laughs> and nope. so like, but they did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but they did it and they, so we made slushy sounds and, um, and puddle sounds and we made it into a piece. Yeah. And so that was a really fun experiment as well. And nobody else did that. Cause the next day that was all gone. Like, so there's just really neat things where you just take those moments. And mm-hmm. I do have to say, um, I don't, I don't know if you've 
access them, but it's learning for a sustainable future mm-hmm. has a bunch of webinars all the time for outdoor learning. And um, so they've been, they've been posting them for a while now and that I just happened to catch one in the fall and it was learning outside or something through the arts. And mm-hmm. they pointed out that, you know, you go back thousands of years and there's, there's um, like Roman, I can't even think of what the word's called, but like, you know, like there's a lot of examples of, of like, or Greek plays outside. Yeah. And um, so they're saying that this has happened for a long time, that people have presented music and dance in the arts outside. But um, what I really enjoyed about it was um, th- that that's where I'm getting a lot of these ideas is they're saying like, take the moments, like use your space. What can you do with your space that you're in? And um you know, can you do plays? Is there, is there different settings you can use in your yard? Um, and, and what kinds of seasonal things, but they almost more presented it like that, where it was mm-hmm. all just these sort of enticements of what, what kinds of seasonal things occur? Um, what's the story of the area that your school resides on? And all of it, it just made my head just start spinning with ideas. And, um, and so it kind of like just opened my mind um, around me two things where whenever something happens like the snow suits or the shadows to bring it into what we're doing and and explore that because the, they're clearly demonstrating it themselves yeah. so I really like that is actually one of the things that really um, has been very helpful this year is just the way it I've even gone back and watched it again yeah. to and it reminded me again of more ideas of of possibilities and I just really liked that it was more the idea of how can you be outside with, with the arts mm-hmm. versus maybe find some way to drag your instruments out. And like, that was sort of right off the bat, what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to try and recreate my music classroom outside. Yeah. I wanted to go, we're outside. So this is a new scenario. So what mm-hmm. are we going to do? And um, so it's been really, it's been really interesting. I really, appreciate the fact that you mentioned that instead of taking what you do indoors and bringing it out, because that is the easiest way. It's definitely the easiest way, but it's not often the best way. And uh, the outdoors will, will kind of, it it will lend itself to different things. And when you Mm -hmm. allow those things to happen, and and I'm thinking back to my interview with Megan Zenny, who actually tweeted about you uh, Mm -hmm. embracing the emergent curriculum, which is exactly what you're doing. It's it's that idea Mm -hmm. of just following what the students are doing. How amazing. Right. How amazing. So I got a really good idea of what an outdoor <laughs> uh, music classroom looks like for you in Winnipeg in the winter. And I mean, I'm picturing my, my daughter's obsessed with Frozen. Um, you know, I'm imagining her and a bunch <laughs> of little kids running around doing all this stuff. This, this is great. But of course, we know we get cold. As I mentioned, we get to mm-hmm. minus 40 cold. And right. I don't know about your division, but for us, minus 27, minus 28 is kind of that cutoff where I'm not allowed to go outside right. anymore. And so there is such a thing as too cold. And so there Mm -hmm. are challenges that we're faced with, uh, especially in colder climates when you want to teach outside. Um, What what are some of the struggles that you, maybe not you've experienced, but some of your students have demonstrated? What are the things that they've found difficult in this transition to outdoor learning? Um, Mostly they just love it. 
Okay, cool. Uh, I, I do have to say that, like, I mean, like, we'll, we'll talk about minus 40 in a second, but, um, but they, they love it. And like, I would often have teachers saying they never complain about this. Like yeah. I'm the one who's outside for two hours. They're not, they're outside for half an hour. Mm-hmm. And so, but there, but you're right. There is a cutoff where it's, it's too cold. And um, so what we would do, I don't know if, what we would do in those instances is I would actually go into a space and, and um, teach them via teams, Okay, you know, like, so, and so, um, and I don't, I don't think this is something that I necessarily got from the learning from assist for a sustainable future, but it was what I thought would be neat is there's sometimes I want to frame what we're doing mm-hmm. outside and so I would take those days and I would have like these set up um, presentations and it was almost like, it was almost like a giant half hour commercial for this is what I want to do next. Right. And so there we, they would do a, a tutorial for, I mean, sometimes the things that we're doing outside aren't just noticing, you know, like how can we play with our snowsuits or like sometimes we're, we're doing something that would just work well outside. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I've really enjoyed is, is seeing, you've probably seen these videos is um, Yukon Bangra and Maritime Bangra. Oh, yes. And, and so we took that, I went, they're outside guys, come on. And, (laughs) and so we're watching these, these, um, these videos and saying like, if they're outside guys, we can, we can do that too. So we're going to, we're going to take this dance outside. And like, sometimes, sometimes, um, with the Yukon Bangra, like he's actually up to his knees in snow and, and it's, it's just amazing. And I love, and I pointed out, like I said, all of these ones are called dance for positivity. And, and I just love that so much. And, um, so I had found a tutorial that they could watch of, of how to do Bangra dancing. And then they took it outside. And I mean, that has its own beautiful element to it as well, where students would come up to me and say, that's my culture. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so excited about it. And then they were teaching um, dances as well. Cause there was, um, there, there was, because they, they know different movements and stuff like that. So it was really, really cool to, to have that happen too. But so there'd be, or one of the things that's coming up is I want them to, um, I bought them all like dowels that they can use as drumsticks and mm-hmm. watch these videos of people. One of them is called Empty School. And then there's another one called Music for My Street, where people are actually going around and playing their street, like yeah. different sounds on like the, you know, stop signs and yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, and, like I'm thinking like Stomp or Blue Man Group, yeah, like actually yeah. just like regular household items making absolutely and so they're just walking around like the whole street and just like you know the the cool sound that a fence makes etc um and so you know so we talked about that and i said that's coming up guys so like i'm even right now like counting the dowels and giving them out to their teachers so that they can bring them outside one day um in you know and and uh so that's something that that i that I share with them in advance so that they can see what's going to be happening. And they'll give like a little bit of a chance mm-hmm. to practice it inside before they come outside or hear about it inside before we do it outside. And mm-hmm. yeah. So really using those forced uh, indoor days as kind of a launch pad for the next outdoor yeah. day. Super yeah. Cause cool. it's kind of hard <laughs> to explain what I, what I want them to see sometimes until I can show them 
you know, and then even, even like there's, there's been such an emphasis this year on what I'm doing with like connecting drama and dance to it, that there was one of them was just saying, here's why I'm doing so much of that. Mm-hmm. Um, because actually they're, you know, they're with drama. Um, it, it totally does connect. So we're, we will be like acting out um, a symphonic piece um, because the music starts, you know, in a certain way and then it changes in the middle and then it goes back to the beginning. And so I want them to demonstrate that form through acting. And mm-hmm. so they create a little scenario that that works with. And, and that was um, a, a piece that um, I had learned through the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra who has adventures in music concerts with kids every year. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's, that's, was this amazing piece that I already knew of. So it's, they have so many movement pieces that they share with students every year. And um, so I was trying to tell them, like, when you, when you embody the piece, that is what music is. And so one of the videos I showed them was this child who's now probably 20 something, but um, Nathan Chan, who is in a video called The Music in Me. And he's describing playing The Swan by Camille Saint-Saëns. And every single moment of the piece he the way he's describing it, it was like a character sketch of someone who's acting. Yeah. And and I said, so he's he's knows what he's doing in every moment, but he's playing it on the cello. And so this is what I wanted them to see is like this is actually going to enrich your playing. Like I said, I can't wait to hear what we sound like next year. Yeah. When you have had so much chance and so much um so much opportunities to work with with drama so many opportunities to work with bringing movement into what we're playing because when you and I, I even show them that too is when you watch people playing at a high level they they don't just stand there they're moving with their flute and yeah. so to understand like the movement is part of playing that instrument yeah. so it and i and so i wanted to bring that understanding to them that it is actually all connected yeah that's incredible. Um, I admire what you do so much. Literally, I mean, I, uh, I, I think to my music education when I was younger, and I think I would have really benefited from having an approach like what you take with your students. So congratulations. I mean, I, I think it's astounding. Um, now, I do want to ask you, if you could go back right to the beginning before you really started taking your class outside, is there something you wish you'd have known beforehand something that you found out kind of as you went that may have been uh, more of a struggle or something more challenging but essentially you know hindsight is 2020 is there something you wish you'd known um i guess there's maybe a couple things um one of them was um you know i was very specific about where i wanted them to stand at the beginning and now i just go you guys just spread out You've yeah. got all the space, you know, and so I just, you know, try not to like worry, you know, this is not something that necessarily will always be the case when we go outside, but right now it is, mm-hmm. is just, no, just spread out. Like that's you know, the six feet is a minimum, like just spread out right. and just find a spot. You can all hear me. And I, I do have to say, I'm very happy because um, I was, you know, my, my principal um, enabled me to have a, a, a microphone. So yeah. Um, everyone can hear me. And so that's great. That's very helpful. And I'm glad I knew that before I lost my voice at some point. (laughs) Um, So that's, there's a lot of things now that I'm, I guess I'm less, 
nervous about because I now just go, just everyone move apart. And, you know, it's like, don't, you know, be overthinking it too much. Um, But I think the big one is, and this is probably accurate for anyone teaching anything anywhere inside, outside is, is just, you know, like you got to take care of yourself through all of it. Um, And this was such a different way to experience teaching. Um, I'm always moving, like even in my classroom, like music is, is, I've already said that, like it's always moving and, and, and I'm always demonstrating how I want them to play something. And so um, I'm using my whole body all the time, but now this is very different. Like there's so much more moving, so many more demonstrations of this becoming more dance-like that I'm dancing almost all day (laughs) um and so that's like six hours and um and so uh i i I think i was trying to make sure you know i was stretching and stuff like that after but like now i it's more of a thing where i just need to realize yeah every day i have to come home and and really take that time to like to stretch so that i don't you know (laughs) crumple up yeah um because it's like really teaching it's is performing very, a lot of the time. Yeah, it's and it's very like it's a lot to be outside and and I found it was even more so when it was cold out like yeah. um your your body's always trying to keep itself warm so it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um it, to just to just you know come home and and like I do have the ability to you know have older kids that that you know I don't need to exactly like you know tend to at every moment um and uh and they're very helpful with stuff um as well um they're able to you know there's been times too where i've you know needed more help and they'll they'll go and do that so that's great but um i feel that that that's something that but i think that's a message anyone could take for for anything really is yeah. to just if you need some time like just take that time and because otherwise it'll just start to build up especially yeah. with how physical this is it if I miss a day where I don't know, like I'm so tired, I can't stretch today. It's like, that's not going to go great the next day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's gotta be. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, yeah. thank you so much for spending the time with me. Um, I, I really appreciate all of the, the wonderful things that you shared because um, you touched on so many things that I wouldn't even have even known to ask about. So thank right. you for sharing so openly. And congratulations again. I think what you're doing is really fantastic. And, I, and that your students, um, especially in this strange COVID year, uh, I, I think that they have not lost anything. And in fact, their music education has been enriched as a result. So yeah, it's been job. a really, it's been an interesting experiment where it's almost like we're all studying how can we do this outside. Mm-hmm. And it's been really interesting. And I'm actually hoping hoping that we can compose about it next year and almost take those experiences for next year and, and see what we can create from it. Yeah. I, I, well, because, because I know where to find you, (laughs) I want to hear those. I absolutely want to hear those. So I'll be, I'll be uh, reaching out to you again for sure. For sure. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer Engbrecht is a music teacher in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And if you're interested in following her on Twitter, you can find her at Prairie Music, and that's music with a K. I'll put a link down in the episode notes for that. Unless this is your first episode, 
You likely know by now that I'm a science person. I've referenced great minds in science on more than one occasion. And I've mentioned many times that the majority of my teaching load is in fact teaching science. Everything I'll say to you coming up is based on my experience as a high school teacher, as a high school science teacher, but also as uh, what I would call a late blooming science learner. I didn't do so well in my last year of high school chemistry. Uh, it's kind of like my brain wasn't ready to study sciences and redox reactions absolutely demolished me at the time. Uh, the truth is, uh, I don't know that we do science justice in the way that we teach it. I think we spend too much time learning sciences and not enough time doing science. I get that there's fundamentals that we need to learn in order to do higher level scientific studies. And I also get that curricula are jam-packed with learning outcomes. And with limited funding allowing for little opportunities for laboratory-based learning, sciences are te- you know relegated to textbook learning. And I'm equally guilty of this as literally anyone else. I'm somewhat proudly guilty of this in that I wrote what essentially amounts to a textbook for my students to read in grade 11 biology. However, that initiative is based on a reading apprenticeship model of learning and it has merit in its own right. But, you know, what I'm saying is that I'm not shaking a stick at you here saying science teachers, uh, you should know better. That's uh, not at all at all. I'm I'm as much guilty as this as anybody else um, and, and of not doing enough science. So as we established in the last episode with David Sobel, place-based learning and place-based education really is a great way to teach. I don't think anybody's arguing about that, but for many of us, it might seem like wishful thinking. So I'm going to challenge you, not for this year, but you know, I'm going to plant the seed early for next year do more science with your students next year. Do one more lab than what you've done in the past. And don't let the word laboratory fool you into thinking that you need lab coats and beakers and Erlenmeyers to do science. Can you measure something quantifiable? Can you count worms in a garden bed? Can you measure rainfall, temperature? What if you can't quantify it? Does that mean that you can't do a lab? No, you can do a lab. Perhaps you can have your students interview peers in the school to gather information on how a certain feature in the schoolyard or maybe a nearby park makes them feel. Yeah, I know. I just veered off topic there with the last one. And where that fits into the science curriculum? Uh, well, it doesn't. And that's okay. Remember, science isn't just a thing you study. It's a method of doing things. We can all do a better job across all grade levels of practicing the scientific method with our students. I really feel that this is often lost somewhere along the way and graduating students seem to forget about it amongst all the details of their upper level upper level science classes. The science is a, is a practice. It's an approach to learning. It's an approach to daily life. And truthfully, it's simple. Set a goal, make a hypothesis, decide how you're going to do it, do it, collect data, analyze, rinse and repeat. Yeah, I know it sounds like a lot of steps, but you've been doing it your whole life and the steps kind of usually blend into each other a little bit more outside of a formal report. And also that's okay. Think about the following situation. My nine month old wants to put blocks into a basket, but the basket has specially shaped holes at the top. He grabs the square blocks, smashes it into the round hole, doesn't work tries it a few more times, still doesn't work. 
Then what? He tries another hole in the basket and eventually finds the one that works. That was the scientific method. It's just that it wasn't formalized into a lab report. And again, that's okay. We want our students to be critical thinkers. We want them to become logical adults who make educated decisions. Allow them the opportunities to practice science. Listen, if all you can muster for next year is one extra opportunity to practice science, it's a win. It's a win for your students and for you. I started adding one, sometimes two, what I call labs, to my science courses almost yearly, and I found that not only do the students enjoy it, it's easier to teach. For example, studying kinematics in physics can be tedious. But uh, simple walking labs make the learning tangible, graphing a movement that you have performed, that you have internalized. It allows you to begin understanding what the graph is actually saying and showing about the movement. Remember, don't get caught up in the word lab. Call it that. Students love doing labs. But any activity that includes anything quantifiable is fair game, which means that walking around a track with the timer on your phone is a lab. And it is. And it beats sitting in the chair in class. So please consider it. If your school is anything like mine, we're seeing significantly decreased science enrollment in the senior years. I guess that some of that is likely a side effect from the pandemic. Students are burnt out, overwhelmed, disillusioned from online learning, anxious about the future, reticent to sign up for anything that might add even a sliver to their level of stress and anxiety. It is our duty and our professional responsibility as science teachers across all grade levels to bring the fun back into science with hands-on learning. Spend more time doing science, less time in the books. Bring back field days, get kids outside counting, cataloging wildlife, plants in the schoolyard. Sow seeds or just germinate them. Find out how many actually sprout. Include that into your math courses or anything into your arts, into your music courses. Remember, you are a science person too. Do you try things? Do you try them again differently? Do you get better at what you do? You are a science person too. Now, apply it to your teaching. Try it again next year, differently. Add an activity. Quantify it. Measure it. Have fun with it. Remind your students that science is more than just the 35 minutes in the schedule. It's a way of doing things. Now, to discuss how students and teachers can get involved in citizen science, I spoke with Christine Chilton from the Nature Conservancy of Canada in Manitoba about the organization's long history in engaging citizens in science projects specifically for the benefit of land conservation. I'm joined today by Christine Chilton, who's the Community Relations Manager at the Nature Conservancy of Canada, specifically in the Manitoba region. And I really wanted to reach out to uh, the Nature Conservancy of Canada because any of my regular listeners know I teach a lot of science. And I'm very uh, forthcoming in saying that I think we do science wrong. I think we spend too much time learning about science and not enough time doing science. And the Nature Conservancy of Canada is one of my uh, favorite organizations, one of my favorite charities. And they do something called citizen science. But before we jump into that, um, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm joined by Christine Chilton. And I want to ask you, Christine, before we start, for those who are listening who don't know about the Nature Conservancy of Canada, who don't know what it stands for, don't know what it's about, what is it? 
So the Nature Conservancy of Canada is the country's largest not-for-profit biodiversity conservation organization. So that sounds like a mouthful, but what that actually just means is that we are working towards a world in which Canadians conserve nature in all of its diversity, so all the different aspects of nature, and we safeguard the lands and the waters that sustain life. Um, but, but our goal is that because we're a nonprofit, we involve people in that process. Right, which is where I really wanted to, to kind of get into the meat and potatoes here, is that the Nature Conservancy of Canada has a pretty long history and a pretty, um, I guess, a cohesive relationship with citizen science. When, how did this begin? When did, when did the Nature Conservancy kind of start with the citizen science and what does it mean for the Nature Conservancy of Canada to, to involve citizens in their science projects? So we started a, uh, we call it a conservation volunteer program. So we started it back in 2006 across Canada. And it's an opportunity for um, people across the country to come together and work in a hands-on manner on conservation land. So they're not just, um, it, it's about really bringing it all together so mm -hmm. people are interacting with the land they're making a difference and they're learning at the same time so it's not just a situation where because i mean you can donate to the ncc but yes. you can go a lot more and actually get involved in the conservation efforts that's right and and we always say you know one of the greatest things people can donate is their time Right. Yeah. And uh, what a true statement it is for our volunteer program. So since 2006 across Canada, we've had over 19,000 volunteers. We've had over 1500 events. Mm. And uh, here in Manitoba alone, we've had over 2200 volunteers just in the last 10 plus years. So what's an example of one of these events? So an example of an event could be there's a huge range of events so some of it might be garbage cleanup so if we've mm -hmm. purchased a land uh, or a property and it has a yard site on it or some debris that was left behind previously often we'll have volunteers come out and help us clean that up we also do things um we do bio blitzes mm -hmm. so um those are some of our favorite ones um that really inform our property management plans but um so citizens uh, come out and they do a bunch of observations on a property so we can learn what sort of species are there from plants and animals and insects and all those great things. Um, and we use that to inform our property care um, and help support. Now, I know that, in, in, and I'll be specific to Manitoba here, I know that citizen science projects were... Um, or at least citizens were included in some of the science projects having to do with a specific butterfly, the power chic. Am, am I? The power chic sterling. Yep. So we don't include um, community science for our power chic skipperlings simply okay. because they are endangered and they're yeah. so rare. Um, so some of our poor staff have been out on surveys for years and <laughs> haven't been able to see them, but uh, yeah. that's why we do the work that we do. But we do a fair bit for monarch butterflies. Mm. So, um, you know, we do um, milk, milk 
um, milkweed. milkweed plantings. Yeah. And we'll do, um, so one year we can do plantings and then the next year we can go through and look for eggs, right? And see right. how many monarch eggs there are. Um, you know, we did last year, we did a great big backyard bio blitz. So mm-hmm. even when people were, you know, in quarantine and they were, um, you know, they were feeling very disconnected from each other, they could still connect with nature, right? Yeah. And one of the number one species that was recorded here in Manitoba was the monarch butterfly, mm-hmm. which is great. So it showed that um, local community members were able to contribute towards science knowledge, conservation knowledge for a species at risk right here in our own province. Yeah, I actually took part in that BioBlitz and I remember looking at the map and I was blown away at all of the things that had been tagged just in my area. Uh, and it was really, it, it was kind of encouraging to see that there was that many people in the area that were interested enough to take part in the BioBlitz and to, to catalog what kind of biodiversity there was right in our neighborhood. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And we also had a ton of northern leopard frogs, which was a really neat <laughs> as well right yeah just uh, yeah another species at risk that that people were able to record and and that makes an actual difference towards that species and its sightings and how we care for them yeah so speaking of that difference what impact does citizen science have on the larger scale conservation that the nature conservancy of canada does Sure. So there is a direct impact, right? So the direct impact is that to conduct research, scientists often require vast numbers of observations over a distance and time scale area, etc. And a lot of times that's just not as possible as we would like. So by having community scientists collecting that data, NCC is able to access an immense volume of data that we wouldn't we might not have access to otherwise Mm -hmm. but perhaps even more important is that in the larger picture people remember a feeling or an experience more than they'll necessarily remember a fact Mm -hmm. so by building relationships and connecting canadians with the land that's key to our conservation success because that's key to getting people to care about the habitats and the species around them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It, it's interesting. I mean, uh, we talk a lot about that on this podcast, which is the idea of getting students out and to experience things rather than just learning them. It, it's so much more tangible and it does stick so yeah. much better. Uh, but it also makes science faster, I guess. That's what you're saying, is that it, it makes these vast amounts of data available in a much shorter period of time. And it makes it... Um, yeah, so, you know... A scientist might not be at an exact location at that exact time, right? Mm-hmm. But but a community member maybe, and uh, and that builds it all together. And it also allows us to um to sort of recognize the contribution that communities and community members have made to conservation over yeah. generations. So whether that's agricultural communities or indigenous communities. Um, quite often those species at risk are there because of the land management that they've been doing for generations, right? So it allows us to also have that two-way knowledge sharing of what they're seeing and when and all of those pieces Mm -hmm. um, and not just science telling a community what's in there and what's important to conserve, but a community being able to tell 
conservation, their observations and pieces as well. So it, it opens that door for conversations that are really, really important. Is there any particular kind of major success story of citizen science that um, the NCC has supported that you might want to share with us? Sure. I think I, I referenced it a little bit earlier, but bio blitzes that we've done on a couple of our properties. Mm -hmm. So one I'm thinking of in particular is along Lake Winnipeg. It's called our Husavik property. So what happened was when we purchased the property, we create a property management plan for each specific property. So mm -hmm. um, it's important to note that um, a, steward, a land stewardship activity on one property might not be best for the other property, right? It's, it's really individual pieces, much like students and mm -hmm. adults and other people, right? What's best for one isn't always best for the other. So what we were doing with a couple of our properties, including Husavik, is we bring a lot of volunteers out and they go into the different areas and they observe everything that they see and they record it in an app called iNaturalist. Mm -hmm. And uh, what that does is all of that information then informs our property management plan. Mm -hmm. So not only did volunteers get to, you know, go out and walk a beautiful piece of nature along Lake Winnipeg for the day, but those observations and those things that they recorded for us actually impacted the way that that land is going to be cared for in perpetuity. So mm -hmm. what a huge contribution that somebody could make with an afternoon of their time having fun with their family. Most of my listeners are teachers, and I want to try to give them something useful. Is there space for teachers and schools and students within the Nature Conservancy of Canada's con conservation efforts and citizen science programs? Definitely. So we'd usually run, uh, not during COVID, but uh, <laughs> we normally run a school program. So it's curriculum linked programs for students talking about conservation uh, species and different things that are important uh, within different habitats here in Manitoba. So there's the in-school piece, and then often we'll try to take students out into their community and, and sort of connect them with some of the nature around the community. When possible, we've also run school programming through um, examples would be Bertel Collegiate or the Weiwei Sikapo off-campus school, where we bring students out to properties, and they do um, activities such as we've done... Um, clearing bush in order to uh, make more room for native grasslands. We've done willow staking. We do things like mammal monitoring projects where students have put up cameras and then we see what species we capture mm -hmm. on the property using the cameras and the students will then, um, you know, log the photos and different things for us. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's always a ton of great things for students to do. Um, and then even on days when, you know, we're getting to it's nice out or, you know, teachers are all getting a little crazy with their students <laughs> who are all going a little crazy, uh, you know, go onto the website. You can pull off things like a scavenger hunt, right? Uh, yeah. Right on our nationconservancy.ca um, Manitoba um, Get Involved website. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Right? There's just great things for people to do. And I think that absolutely every time a student has fun learning something, they're going to keep that with them a little bit more. And, and different people learn in different ways. 
Um, I have two kids at home, one who's graduated and one who's still younger. But, um, you know, they're both very um, tactical in their learning, right? Yeah. So um, my son in particular, you know, he could sit and read a book for two hours and, and you could quiz him afterwards and it just might not be there, right? Yeah. But if you were to just take him outside and show him and have him figure it out, he had that knowledge and it was there to stay. Yeah. So I think community science is really about not only two-way knowledge, but about acknowledging that different people learn differently mm-hmm. and, uh, and what a great way for us to provide that opportunity. So if a teacher wants to get involved with the Nature Conservancy of Canada um, as, as a citizen science a group with their students, with their class, uh, during class yeah. time or outside of class time, what's the best way for them to get involved? So their best bet is to shoot me an email. They yeah. can send it to manitoba at natureconservancy.ca. Okay. And now I do have a lot of listeners in BC. Uh, is yeah. there a regional office also for BC that they might be able to contact? There sure is. Yeah. British Columbia. Oh, it's BC office at natureconservancy.ca. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much, Christine. I'm very thankful that you were able to spend some time with us today. And thanks for sharing your knowledge with us. No worries. Christine Chilton is the Community Relations Manager at the Nature Conservancy of Canada, Manitoba Region. Thanks again for spending your time with me today. I always appreciate it. I love to hear from you. If you ever want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at disconnectpodcast at protonmail.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at OutdoorEdCast. As I mentioned in the intro, I'm looking at doing one more episode for this year and then likely take the summer off. So, on that note, I'll see you in about a month. And uh, good luck wrapping up your school year.